Hey there, e-commerce enthusiasts. Let me tell you about a game changer in shipping, ShipStation. It's the ultimate platform for simplifying your shipping process. With ShipStation, you can easily import, manage, and ship your orders in no time. It integrates seamlessly with your favorite e-commerce platforms and carriers, ensuring a smooth workflow. Gain valuable insights with their powerful analytics and reporting tools. Say goodbye to shipping headaches. Visit milwaukeemafia.com slash ship and level up your shipping game today. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your weekly podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to Milwaukee Mafia. I'm Eric Walterkins. I'm Gavin Schmidt. And Gavin, plugging of other podcasts. Yeah. We do have my wife, Tracy, just released a podcast called Stigmas and Open Wounds. I am actually the co-host with her as well on that podcast. Because you're the podcast king. (laughs) I have this nickname. Weird. I know. (laughs) From what I understand, it's because I am on a podcast about the mafia. But I think that should be Gavin's nickname. But um, yeah, so this podcast deals with issues around depression, anxiety, and other mental disorders. So if that's something you're interested in, please do check it out. It's available on all the podcast players. It's called Stigmas and Open Wounds. So done with the self-plugging. Gavin, what do you got for us? Okay, today we we don't even have two full pages of notes. Wow. So pretty short. If you get confused today, then I'm really, <laughs> I really need to reevaluate how I'm doing this. <laughs> two guys in Milwaukee meet up with two guys from Chicago, at least for this sake, they're from Chicago. They're not really, but They pick up their thing in Chicago. They meet in Racine. They drive to St. Louis. They get caught. All right, so nobody is going to remember it at this point. But a while back, we did an episode on the Scafidi family. I remember the Scafidi family. You're going to remember the name, but you're not going to remember remember anything else. (laughs) Right. So there were two guys who were kind of roughly involved in this gang, a man named Joseph Garnieri, and I'm probably saying that wrong, and Tony LaRosa. And they were kind of mixed up in this. There was a part in the Scafidi story where they hit a guy over the head at a bowling alley and they robbed him of his money. These guys were suspects in that. If you don't remember any of that, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Just letting you know that we're going to talk about Joseph Garnieri and Tony LaRosa this week. So they are connected to an earlier story, but you don't need to remember any of that story for today. And they were the guys that hit the guy over the head in the bowling alley and stole $200, right? I don't remember what the exact amount was. If it's $200, you know it better than I do because I don't remember. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was like 200 or $250. All right. Joseph Garnieri, he was especially vicious. He had a history of assault, safe cracking, rape, and abandoning his family, because that used to be a crime. You'd get abandoning your family. The rape, which in the newspaper, it's called a morals charge. They don't actually use that word in the newspaper. Also involved La Rosa, so they were together on this, and it involved a 15-year-old girl. I'm not going to go into any more details on that. Either way, not good guys. A Garnieri family member told me that Joseph Garnieri was extremely abusive and almost killed his wife twice. He would lock his children in an outer porch that had a glass window in it, and then the children could look in through the glass window and watch him beat their mother. Wow. Yeah. Apparently, Garnieri was a great guy when he was sober, but he was an alcoholic. He would black out, and this is when he would earn his nickname, which was The Viper. He had a Jekyll and Hyde personality. He was extremely vicious when drunk. This is still quoting the family member. I have a tendency to believe he would have been violent regardless. It's just that the alcohol gave him the excuse to unleash his fury on whoever was around. So this guy, known as the Viper, 
Definitely not a nice guy. His, his record should speak for itself, but the family member even agrees that not a good guy. Not a good guy, and the alcohol just amplified that not a good guy. Yeah, he was not drinking aristocrat brandy. brandy. <laughs> and he was probably drinking mm. it in larger amounts than one bottle per year. Yeah, but it's good stuff. <laughs> not a sponsor, but good stuff. Okay, so this brings us to the hot meat story. These two guys, Joseph Garnieri... And Tony LaRosa, this is the first version of the story. They go and they pick up Ted Catalano's semi, which was allegedly parked at the truck lot where he was normally parked, where he would be parked between pickups and drop-offs, that sort of thing. Allegedly, the keys were already in the ignition, so all they had to do was go and take the truck and drive away. Mm -hmm. Well... This was the original version that the truck owner told the police. But later he said, okay, that's not quite how it worked. I actually took the truck home. The truck was in front of my house. These guys came to my house and they made some threats and they said, don't worry. We'll have the truck back in two days. It's fine. So the guy said, well, so I told the police a false story thinking that I was just going to get my truck back and nobody would notice, but they didn't come back with the truck. (laughs) So he had to admit that he was dishonest with the police. We know that they filled up the truck. It took 105 gallons of gasoline to fill it. And they drove off from there. Meanwhile, totally random. This is so weird. A mafia member from Detroit named Sebastian Vermilio, whose nickname is Banjo Eyes. (laughs) Banjo Eyes. And a St. Louis mafia member named Anthony Lupaparo, and I'm probably saying that wrong, who went by Tony the Pip. They stole a truck trailer, a semi-trailer, full of 23,000 pounds of meat from a company in Chicago. Okay. So Tony the Pip, he's already well known. He had testified before Congress, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, which is like the old version of the DEA. They were following him around. They didn't like him. The IRS didn't like him. He was involved in a jukebox company that was kind of shady. And he was mixed up with a, a boxer who some people, if you know boxing, would know, Sonny Liston. Apparently, Sonny Liston, before he was a professional boxer, started out as a thief known as the Yellow Shirt Bandit. Out of curiosity, why does somebody steal 20,000 pounds of meat? That's what you said it was? Yeah, 23,000 pounds, pounds of meat. meat. Do we get to that in the story of the motivation behind that? No. Okay, so we just don't really know. (laughs) Right. Okay. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah, okay. So so they go. The meat trailer is driven up from Chicago to Racine. The truck that was taken to Milwaukee is driven down to Racine. And from there, they move the hot meat... I'm using quotes for people who can't see the <laughs> hot meat from one trailer to the other. So then when the police arrive, they see the meat trailer, but there's no meat in it. Okay. Because it's now on a second trailer. From there, they drive the meat to St. Louis. Well, they don't make it to St. Louis because a tip comes in and the police and the federal agents, they swoop in and they find Tony LaRosa driving the truck, his friend Joseph Garnieri as his occupant, his passenger in the truck. Vermilio, banjo eyes, is following behind in a car, and Tony the Pip is already waiting ahead in St. Louis to receive the hot meat. So these guys are, they don't even succeed in, in getting this to its destination. They get caught before it ever happens. The Milwaukee police received a tip that they had first tried to sell the meat locally. They were going to sell it through Jack Inea's tavern, but Jack Inea denied this. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but Jack Inea 
will come up again. He is a major crime figure, and he gets killed. <laughs> so definitely a, a shady kind of guy who would be involved in this sort of thing, but whether that's true or not, don't know. A man named Jack Sorcy said that after the, everyone had been arrested, Tony La Rosa and Joe Garnieri came to him for a loan, but he turned them down. He overheard them say that, you know, really who they should get a loan from is Harold Klein, because Harold Klein was the man who actually financed this whole scheme, this meat scheme. Well, Sorcy, the man who did not give them the loan, told the police that he heard them say this. And he also said that, his opinion, he thinks that 90% of the major crimes in Milwaukee are caused by Harold Klein. Which, this is obviously nonsense. He's not behind 90% of the crimes. (laughs) A reliable source said that Harold Klein lost $4,000 in the deal. Harold Klein would later make Milwaukee's top hoodlum list. He had previously owned a tavern with another Milwaukee Mafia member, and he'll probably come up again because he's, he's a shady guy. He was mostly known as a fence. He was somebody who would take stolen items and then resell them. Officially, he was a junk dealer, but that's a really good cover for being I mean, a fence. Yeah. yeah. And so they now suspected that he had financed this and... Uh, he had paid the $4,000 and was going to get the profits from selling the meat. But, of course, when he was interviewed, he said that he had nothing to do with it, not surprisingly. Joe Garnieri is out on bail waiting to go to trial for stealing all the meat. Garnieri and LaRosa get five years in prison in Indianapolis. They were released in March of 1954 after serving less than two years of their five-year sentence. At the trial... They told the judge that they were each paid $50 to transport the truck, and they said they didn't even know the truck was stolen. They just did what they were told. The judge did not believe that, and I don't believe that either. How did they end up in Indianapolis prison? Uh, Because it's a a federal prison. Oh, because the meat crossed state lines, it became a federal thing? Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Going from Wisconsin to Illinois (laughs) to St. Louis, but they never reached St. Louis. But you're like, where does Indiana (laughs) go? It doesn't. But that's just, for whatever reason, that's the federal prison they got sent to. Okay. I guess the reason behind stealing this meat is just somebody met a guy in St. Louis, the St. Louis gangs or mobster met a guy in St. Louis who needed a bunch of meat, and they're like... Well, we'll steal you a bunch of meat and sell it to you. Yeah. Is that pretty much what we can take from this? Yeah, I mean, that's really the bottom line is that anytime there's like a hijacking or a big theft, you got to find somebody who wants it. In this case, they already had a buyer before they took it. So somebody, I don't know who it was, but somebody in St. Louis apparently thought they could get rid of this much meat. And allegedly, it was Harold Klein who negotiated this deal. Whether that's true, I don't know, because he denies it, and he's never arrested for it. So we just have to kind of go off of that being a possibility. Mm -hmm. What really impresses me about this case is just how widespread it is. Like, it was just these two guys in Milwaukee, and they're like, oh yeah, we're two guys who are like young mob guys, and Harold Klein, he's a big mob guy, and he tells us to do something. Yeah, that makes sense. But then you got a Detroit guy and a St. Louis guy as well. So that's pretty, which, you know, you're going to need that if you're going to go to St. Louis. Right. The St. Louis guy makes sense. Yeah. But what is the Detroit guy doing? How is he getting involved in this? No, no, how he got in on that. But I I do find that interesting when you've got these guys from all these different groups, because it really shows just how connected they all are throughout the country, even though most of the time they're only acting locally. Mm hmm. And it's also interesting, why steal? I mean, I guess you want the meat to be from a remote place, 
Right. So it's exactly. easier, hard to trace. But it seems like to me, Milwaukee is a little extreme on the distance. Is it? I don't know. I mean, that's that's quite a distance from Milwaukee to. Don't you think they would have been just as well off to go swipe some meat from I don't know Chicago or? Well, the meat the meat came from Chicago. Remember, the meat came from Chicago. Oh, because they, they took, drove up to Racine and they switched up the trailers there. Which is another weird thing, right there. Why would you do that? <laughs> because the, the original trailer is going to have the name of the company on the side. And right. you don't want that. Right, but transport that trailer that you have in Racine mm-hmm. down to, like, somewhere in Illinois. Yeah. So that they're not driving a truck from Chicago up to Wisconsin. Oh, you think it's and weird that going, they met in Racine yeah, instead of yeah, being lower. Yeah. Yes, I agree. That is a little strange. It's just kind of a very weird story. <laughs> the whole thing is strange, and I, I wish there was more to it, because I'm sure there are pieces missing, but the newspaper's didn't cover it very thoroughly, which surprises me. And the FBI files, which existed once upon a time, are mostly gone. The only FBI files that I know that still exist are the ones from Harold Klein. So the actual interstate theft, that file does not exist anymore. And that's a real bummer because they probably went around and got more details from asking people things. And I've got to imagine that this was a pretty big story at the time because I can't imagine 23,000 pounds of meat getting stolen is a common thing. It's not a common thing. thing. But like I said, I don't think it made that big of headlines. I was even checking today. I wanted to make sure. I was like, I'm going to check the St. Louis newspaper. And you know, it gets a mention, but it's hardly mentioned at all. Really? And I'm like, this is so strange. Were you through your notes, or did you have a little bit yet left to go? A little bit. Okay, so, of course, they get out of prison after the two years, and Tony La Rosa and the Viper allegedly go to August Maniachi and Frank Legobo. This time, they say to them that they want more money than this $50 they apparently got paid, saying that they deserve the money because they did their prison time and they didn't rat anyone else. Well, Maniachi said, that's not our problem. You take it up with Harold Klein. And, of course, Harold Klein wants nothing to do with any of this. He says, I was not involved. I don't know anything. The Viper and Sebastian Vermilio, banjo eyes, are later suspects in the murder of nightclub owner Izzy Pograb, whose body was found dumped in a ditch. Um, But neither one was ever charged with the crime. Of course, we'll cover that when we get there. And where is this nightclub at? Because those The nightclub is in downtown Milwaukee. Because wasn't one of the two names you just said, one of the guys... Is the the Detroit guy. guy. So he must have been pretty tight with Milwaukee then if he was spending that much time in Milwaukee. Yes. Banjo Eyes was there for a while. He bounced around between Detroit and Milwaukee, Canada, and a few other places. So you've looked into him quite thoroughly, I I imagine. Yes. At a certain point, in time he more or less became a Milwaukee Mafia member as I would not say I would not say that I would still call him a a Detroit guy but he was very mobile so he he was like always on the move in your research with this did Milwaukee have a guy that seemed like just kind of bounced all over the place not that comes to mind okay I'm just curious if that was kind of a normal thing for them to have somebody like, hey, Chicago needs some help with something. You're the guy that runs down there and and helps them out or something like that. I mean, not that I can think of. It's strange. There's a lot of crossover between Milwaukee and Kansas City. There's some crossover between Milwaukee and Rockford. But I can't think of any Milwaukee guys who are like constantly moving Mm -hmm. or getting you know, called over to other places. It's possible, but I can't think of any at the moment. Okay. 
Okay, so the Viper, after he's like a suspect in this nightclub murder, he dies in an apparent car crash. The car crash is a little suspicious because he is publicly named as an informant, which whether that's true or not, I don't know, but it was speculated that he was an informant, and then shortly after that, he dies in a car crash. Hmm. Gee. Yeah. What a weird coincidence. Yeah. Vermilio, the Detroit guy, he gets caught up in an international narcotic smuggling ring, and he was twice deported from the United States. So this is when he was working up in Canada, I'm assuming? Yep. Okay. Uh, we'll elaborate on these two guys more in future stories, because this will come back. Tony the Pip, the St. Louis guy, went to prison for tax evasion in 1958. No connection to this at all, but you know. He ends up going to prison for tax evasion. He dies in 1960, so he's gone a few years after this story. And Tony La Rosa never made major headlines again. I'm not really sure uh, what happened to La Rosa. He just sort of kind of faded away. Either that or I've completely forgotten. I wasn't able to really come up with anything big on him. We hear over and over again in these stories that people are mafia members go to prison for tax evasion. Yep. Are these people just flat out refuse to pay their taxes? Or is this just something that the police, the FBI, whatever, leverages to, if we know this guy's a mafia member, we know he's up to bad stuff, we can't get him on any of the bad stuff he's doing, but hey, we just found something that we can get him on with this taxes and we throw him in jail for that. Yeah, well, I think it's, I mean, they don't like paying their taxes, so there is that. But I, I do think it is a lot of the second one. Is These are guys who have a lot of pressure coming down on them. And if the FBI can't get them, if the local police can't get them, the IRS is sent in. Because um, honestly, most people don't go to prison for tax problems. Everybody screws up their taxes. Like, yeah, yeah. But, that, but we don't all go to prison for it. It's not a coincidence like that they did something that threw up a red flag. I mean, it seems like if they're getting this many people, it's because they're sitting there digging through and they're right. looking for reasons they, to get that. They absolutely are. And the classic example is Al Capone. And Al Capone went to prison for tax problems. I don't know if it was tax fraud or tax evasion. You know, I don't remember what the technical thing was, but taxes. And they knew that he did all these other things, but they couldn't get him. So they came up with this method of how to get him on taxes. And it took a lot of work. Like, they would not normally do this to a person. And what normally happens is you file your taxes. They compare it to the W-2s or whatever mm. else that, you know, gets submitted to them. And they see if the numbers add up. If the numbers don't add up, then you might get in trouble. If the numbers add up, they usually don't care. Mm -hmm. That's not what they did in the Capone case. In the Capone case, his numbers added up just fine. But they knew that he was spending huge amounts of money. So they went around and they started calculating all the things that he was buying. And once they made a list of everything that they could prove that he was buying and compared okay. that, then it said, they, they, they oh, knew that this is his income cannot possibly match, match that. Yeah. And I don't know how much they do that with other mob guys, but that's a method that they kind of came up with around Capone. Because prior to that, they, you know, if your sheets matched whatever, they were fine with it. Mm -hmm. But they knew he was full of crap. So they came up with this other method of saying, well, if you're spending a million dollars a year, but you're only saying you make 20000 a year, they're just throwing numbers out there. But obviously this money is coming from somewhere and you're not claiming it. And I almost, I would be very interested to know 
and this is very much out of your purview of knowledge. Maybe okay. you do know this, but I wonder if this if is a taxes. T- I probably don't. But. but if this is a tactic that they use, say, for drug cartels and drug dealers nowadays, is there a high proportionate amount of drug dealers get nailed on tax evasion because they're using that as a tactic? I don't to know. catch them. I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised because it's the same concept. Yeah, and. It's just kind of interesting to think Yeah, about. it takes a whole lot more work on government's part because they have to do so much more math and, <laughs> and kind of track expenses and everything else. Tracking a person's expenses has got to be difficult to do. I imagine it, it is, is but, I mean, it, but if you want somebody off the streets bad enough, no, I guess, yeah. It's a, it's a thing to do, I guess. Yeah. So... All right. Do you got anything else with this episode? No, it's like I wanted to keep it kind of simple. Some of this might have been confusing, but I hope not. Pretty straightforward. Nobody dies. Nobody died this time. No. But I, I think you said half of them end up getting killed, right? Yeah, one dies in a car crash and another one ends up... Nobody really knows where he ends up. <laughs> so a good possibility he died. Maybe. I've, I've been in contact with his two of his grandchildren... And yeah, nobody knows. Really? Nobody knows. Yeah. That's crazy. And they're like, well, at this point, he's obviously dead, but we don't know what happened to him because we don't know where his body is. We don't know anything. All right. Well, that's this week's episode. Um, Gavin, if you want to hit him with a little bit of contact information. Sure. You can go to milwaukeemafia.com. You can email milwaukeemafia at gmail.com. You can go to facebook.com slash milwaukeemafia. All these ways work to find us or find me. And um, more information going up on the website almost every single day. Yes. I was on the website the other day and I found there is now literally FBI files uploaded. You can click on a person's name and it shows you their FBI file. Yes. So go and check it out because it is pretty crazy what this new, much more sophisticated web developer we've got going on here has been doing. Yeah, I have have files on... 289 people and counting and i've been trying to upload at least five things a day so by the time you hear this it still won't be done but it's it's expanding a little bit every couple of days so and i i know you told me this but how many files do you have so it's 289 subjects i don't know how many sections each one has no, but I mean, how many do you have yet to upload? Oh, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I, but mean, I mean, we barely started. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even... Like thousands I'm, more? Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe. I'm somewhere between a quarter and a third done, maybe, uploading, okay. possibly. So, <laughs> so you, you will see it. It's going to become quite a resource by the time I have, it's I done. have a binder, like a 250 CD binder, because they used to send them to you on CDs. Now they do it all online. I haven't even got to that yet. So <laughs> there's 250 CDs worth of FBI files that haven't even been touched. Wow. And literally like full CDs of, or just like well, FBI file. It's just whatever they Yeah, requested. they're not they're not full. Yeah, you just requ- whatever you requested that day they send you. Yeah, they so. send you 500 pages. They could fit a whole lot more on a CD, but yeah. they don't. Gotcha. All right, that'll wrap this one up for this week. We'll be back in two, well, we'll be back next week with the Patreon, Yeah. which just another reminder, the Patreon's out there. The brandy bottle is empty. It is. Please help us get that brandy (laughs) bottle filled back up. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please drop us a little feedback on your favorite podcast player. Yeah. And we will see you in two weeks. Hit like and subscribe. Yeah. (laughs) And for you Patreon members, we will see you back here next week. Thanks. Thank you very much. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next week for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.